Uh, but really excited to kind of get into my message this morning, and I, I want to jump right into it uh, because it's about prayer. How many of you believe that prayer is important? Yeah, quite a few of you. Here's a second question. How many of you feel like your prayer life is adequate? Mm-hmm. The numbers drop drastically. It, there's a huge drop-off between belief in the importance of prayer and that feeling of that my prayer life is adequate. I'm at the place where I really want to be in my prayer life. I'm, I'm praying the way God wants me to pray. I'm spending that time with Jesus. Uh, but I don't want you to lose hope, okay? Because I want to give you some practical ways this morning about how to pray. Because here's the number one thing that I hear from people all the time. I don't know how to pray. We might be in a group setting, right? Uh, you know, we'll come to the end and we'll ask for people to pray. Even, I'm not going to throw the worship team under the bus, but I've been in teams meetings before where I'm like, hey, who wants to pray? And everybody just stands there. It's like a standoff. <laughs> Who's going to take it? You or you? Like, we're, we're afraid to pray, right? Because we don't know how. We don't know what are the right words for when we pray. What if I'm not a very goodly speaker? And I say some weird, weirdly words. You know, just as a question, have any of you ever listened to somebody else's prayer and thought, wow, what word? I would not have used that word. That, that's, that's weird that they said it that way. Like we don't do that to each other, but there's this fear that we live with that if we pray in front of somebody else, that they're going to hear our prayer and they're just going to think we're like a doofus or something. I, I don't know what the problem is. But, but I want to teach us this because this is important. Knowing how to pray is important. But before we jump into that, I want to give you a couple of things. What prayer is not, okay, because this is going to be important to framing the rest of our time together. Prayer is not a practice for the super spiritual Prayer is not bothering God. You know, a lot of times we think to ourselves, well, I, I know I probably should pray about that, but I don't want to bother God with that. Uh, I, I've often been amazed too, you know, we'll take prayer requests or something. Um, we have a Tuesday uh, afternoon prayer at one o'clock in the cafe here. And, you know, we'll do prayer requests and, and kind of things. People will be like, oh, shouldn't we be praying for this? And, the, and somebody will be like, oh, I don't want to keep bringing that up. Like we're bothering God if we continue to pray about it, right? But prayer is not bothering God. Prayer is not a final attempt at affecting a situation. Here's where we get to. A lot of times we're like, I don't know what else to do, so I'll pray. Or we'll tell somebody, I've done every single thing I can possibly do for you. Can I pray for you? There's nothing left that I can do. I'm so sorry. I don't even know what to do about that. Could I pray for you? And instead of treating prayer like our first line of defense, we treat it as though it's our final line of defense. Prayer is not asking God for what you want. That's a genie, very different from God, all right? I'm gonna unpack that a little bit further, but we'll get into that as we go on here. Prayer is not just about asking God for what you want, all right? And then lastly, prayer is not strengthened by your knowledge, wisdom, understanding, or eloquence. Your prayers are not strengthened by how much you know of Scripture, whether or not you've memorized enough prayers or you can recite all of the Psalms, if you've gone to Bible college, what translation of the Bible you have, any of those things. It has nothing to do with that. In fact, let me tell you something this morning. Your time in prayer has nothing to do with the words coming out of your mouth or from your mind. Do you want to know where it really comes from? It's supposed to come from your heart. 
It's supposed to come from your heart, right? And, and here's the thing. We get so tangled up in this about what's the right thing to say, what's the wrong thing to say. Can, can I direct your attention to your children this morning, okay? For those of you who have children, do you remember when they first said their first word? It was probably dada. It's just easier to say and dads are cooler. But <clears throat> P.S. Dads, 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 Mother's Day next week. Mother's Day next week. Okay, that's all. So they probably said dada, right? And didn't you go nuts? You're like, oh, they said dada. And you're like getting the phone out. And if it's your first kid, you took 17 videos. If it's your second kid, you took four. And if it was your third kid, you said, okay, that's great. <clears throat> My poor son, Roman, we have like four pictures of his birth. It's just like, it's like 7,000 pictures of Tessa, 400 of Meredith, and zero of Roman. It's like, was Roman born? Yeah. We actually, we tried to trick him one time and tell him he was adopted. It was great. <laughs> the girls were in on, they're like, yeah, we don't even have any pictures of you at the hospital. <laughs> That's terrible. That's terrible. <clears throat> but here's what happens. When we hear our kids speak for the first time, we get so excited. And none of us, none of us, when we hear our children speak, and maybe they're trying to say some of those more difficult words, we don't walk up to them and say, listen, don't even talk to me until you know how to say it the right way. Would any of you do that to your kids? Absolutely not. And listen, God doesn't do that to us either. In fact, God delights in hearing maybe even those small things that we start to move in, those very first times when we start to speak and to pray. God's not looking at it like, boy, they didn't say that right. Boy, they misquoted that scripture. No, God is excited that you would be in that time of prayer with him, that you're communicating with him. And so I just really encourage you as we talk about prayer to think of it from the position of being a parent because your father in heaven, which we're going to talk about in a second, but your father in heaven delights in hearing from you. And he's not put off by your lack of eloquence. He's not put off by your lack of knowledge. He just delights in spending time with you. And that's a big part of what prayer is. But I want to take you to Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Uh, really, this is a very significant portion of Scripture. It's known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus is giving this teaching. He's instructing on all these things. In just this chapter alone, he talks about giving and forgiveness and fasting. He talks about prayer. It, it's a very practical sermon that he's giving to people about these things. And so in the midst of this, he says, I want to teach you how to pray because you need to know how to do this. Because as we all a few moments ago agreed, prayer is important. So how do we do it? Here's what Jesus said. Matthew 6, verses 7 to 13. When you pray, don't babble on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask Him. Somebody needs to hear that again this morning. Your father knows exactly what you need before you even ask him. Pray like this. Our father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. How many of you have heard this before, the Lord's Prayer? If you played any sport in high school, you probably heard it. 
It seems like it's the go-to in high school and college before any sporting event. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Uh, I know in, in football locker rooms, this is done constantly. Let's say the Lord's Prayer because we're getting ready to play football, and that's going to make us better football players. I, I don't know. But there, I want us to look at this because when we look at how to pray, we start to think this is a word-for-word thing. This is a script, right? Jesus has given us a script on how to pray. Instead of seeing it as a script, I'd like to put us in the place of seeing it as an outline. God has given us an outline of how to pray, and there are a few things that we can look at in here. Number one, adoration. Everything we do in prayer begins with adoration. That song we just sung a few moments ago, Father God, we adore you, right? And, and that word adoration, or it kind of loses its potency for us because to us, we see like a baby and we're like, oh, they're so adorable, right? Right? We're just totally enraptured with who they are, but not really. And the same is true of our relationship with God, that being in a place of adoration means, God, you're my everything. I'm totally enraptured by who you are, how much you love me, and all that you've done for me. Secondly, two and three kind of go together. Humility of our desires and elevation of God's plans. He says, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning, I have a will. How many of you guys have a certain way you would like things done? Right? And when we pray, don't we often go into it with, well, here's my prayer. Here's the outcome I want. God, let me lay this before you because this is the way I want it to play out. Right? But instead, Jesus flips out and he says, no, when you come to prayer, you need to understand two things. Number one, he says this before this prayer even, your father already knows what you need before you pray. Okay? And two is yielding to God's ability to see and know what's going on in our lives and that his plan is greater than your plan. Listen, I don't know what is going on in your life, but I can promise you this. You do not want to trade your will or or God's will for your will. You do not want to trade God's will for your will because you will lose every time. And so it's this place of humility. I humble myself in what I want And I elevate God's plan and what he wants. And I'll allow God to do that in any way that he wants to. Fourth, recognizing the the sufficiency of God's provision. This is that that term you hear in there, give us today the bread that we need, our food, right? This goes back into the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were just, they had nothing. And then so God says, well, I'm going to take care of you. I will give you bread daily for you to eat. It wasn't actually bread, as we've talked about before. It was manna, which is just Hebrew for what is it? They didn't even know what it was, but they ate it. But when God gives it to him, he says this, go out and collect the food that you and your family need for the day. Do not collect any more. What do you think they did on day one? Some of us, we treat every meal like it's our last. They go out and they collect a whole bunch of food and here's what happens. They keep it and the next morning they wake up and the Bible tells us that the food that they had collected was full of maggots and was rotting. Yummy. Maggots are protein, just so you know, that keto thing. No, he says, listen, you're going to have to learn that I can supply you daily. And, And this is important for us because in prayer, sometimes we can get ahead of ourselves God, I'm praying about what's going to happen in five months. I'm praying about what's going to happen next year. I'm worried about what's going to happen five years from now. Listen, when we go to prayer, we say, God, I trust in your sufficiency to supply me with what I need today. Four things that I often pray for in this category. God, give me my daily bread mentally, 
physically, spiritually, and emotionally. These are four areas of my life that I find that I can become easily depleted, right? How many of you, you get to a day and your brain just hurts? Some of you don't even know what I just said. Physical bodies, right? You go through a hard season, your physical body can wear out. Emotionally, you ever have a season where you're just emotionally drained? You got nothing left? And also spiritually, because we can become very dry. God, give me what I need for today in these areas of my life. Five is forgiveness. Forgiveness is so important. In fact, Jesus goes on to talk about this later in the sermon in Matthew chapter 7. And he says, forgiveness is important because you need to be a people who give forgiveness and receive forgiveness in fact jesus says in matthew 7 if you withhold forgiveness from someone else i can't not i won't not i don't want to or i'm gonna play hardball with you i can't forgive you of your sins he ties it directly and so that's why he makes forgiveness a big part of our prayer god i need you to forgive me and i need you to help me forgive others anybody in here ever had someone hurt them or sin against them just me. Okay, that's great. We pray, God, help me to forgive that person for the harm that they did against me. And then lastly is grace for our struggle with sin and temptation. Listen, there is a sufficient grace for every temptation that we come up against. God says, I will be with you. And it's that prayer. God, if I become tempted and whatever's going on in my life or whatever my weakness is, will, your, will you help me? Will your grace be sufficient for this moment so that I don't fall to temptation? This is the outline that he gives through the Lord's Prayer. Adoration, humility, and elevation. Sufficiency, forgiveness, and grace. These are the things. He says, this is how you pray. These are the things that you need to focus on when you pray. But there's another side of this, and I want to turn our attention to this here in, in just a second here, because there are times when it's like, well, where does prayer go wrong, right? Where can we get off the rails a little bit in our prayers? And it's, it's described for us in James chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. In James 4, he says this, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have. So you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it from them. You, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Now let's pause right there. We love to read this verse and just be like, well, what I've got to do to get what I want is I've just got to start asking God for what I want. I need to have more faith, right? If I had bigger faith, I'd be able to ask God for the things that I want and he's going to give me anything that I want. Let's keep reading. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now think about what he's saying here a moment ago. What is causing such turmoil inside of you? It's you being in the place of thinking that other people have something that you either want or think you deserve. Why do they get the nicer house? Why do they get the better paying job? Why do they get the nicer car? Why are their kids so respectful? Why is, the, her, why is her husband so kind and helpful? Why is his wife the, the, we look at all these things and we start to compare and compare. And he says, listen, what happens is when you start to play the comparison game, it wages war on you. It begins to take away from how precious the things are that God has given to you because God has given you what you need, maybe not what you want. 
right? God gives us what we need, but maybe not necessarily what we want. I would equate it this way. You, you ever give somebody a gift, right? And they open it and they look at it and they go, oh, wow, thanks. That's unique and different. It's, that's different. Thank you so much, right? And then they put it down. Uh, it does, how does that make you feel, right? You're just like, oh, man, should not have gotten just that bread maker. Uh, should have gone for the vacuum. Should have gone for the vacuum. Oh, goodness. Right? We just, because there's this sinking feeling when we give something to someone and their, their reception of it is, oh, okay, that, that's good, nice, great, thanks. But how many of you ever given a gift to somebody who was like, man, they were over the moon for this gift that you gave them? right? Isn't it awesome to give that kind of a gift when somebody opens it and they're just like, whoa! I, I was telling this to, to first service, you know, when Meredith was about four years old, we were celebrating Christmas, and I don't know what was in Meredith's mind that year, whatever, but she was the most grateful child I've ever seen. Every single gift she opened, she's like, whoa, boots, I've always wanted boots, these are the coolest boots in the whole world, she puts the boots on, she stomps around, like, okay, here's another gift, and she opens it, whoa, socks to go with my boots, these are the greatest socks ever, like, everything, I'm not kidding, we have it on video, everything that she opened, it was the greatest thing she'd ever seen in her life, and like, as parents, we're just like, we are killing this parent thing, (laughs) and we remembered we had two more kids, (laughs) whatever, and then that's not important. There's a huge difference between the feeling that you get as a giver of gifts when somebody receives it with absolute gratitude and when they receive it with a spirit of reservation like, I didn't really want that. Thanks. I appreciate it. You know, it's a thought that counts. And sometimes we do that to God because we're so full of the things that we want that we can't appreciate God giving us what we need. We're just so full of, of, I want this and I want that. I want the better paying job, the bigger house, the nicer car, the bigger bank account. I want this. I want, I want, I want. And, and it's unfortunate. I'm not, I'm not even casting blame because it's kind of happened to us on a cultural level. We have really blurred the line between want and need. We've really blurred that line between what we want and what we need. We have almost convinced ourselves that what we want is what we need. And it could be the most superfluous thing there is. I absolutely need fill in the blank. God, I need, I need, I need this. And and it's really dragging away from us because in this place where God is giving us what we do actually need, what is fulfilling his plan for our lives, we're opening it up and we're going, oh, thanks, God. I, I know I asked for a new job, but this demotion is cool too. I'm really grateful for that. I know I asked for a new car, but this, this used one that only starts every other day is really great too. Thank you, Lord. Right? Don't we just look at everything? We're just like, it's, and, and, and from a sense, it's just not enough. It's not enough. God, I need more. I need more. And getting back to this place of what Jesus spoke of, he said, when, you be, when you're in prayer, realize that what God has given you is sufficient. And the more you lean into the sufficiency and praise to God of saying, God, I accept what you've given me as sufficient enough and I worship you for it. I thank you for it. But I want to give you a word here as we kind of wrap this up. One word that will help you to remember how to pray. Can you remember one word? 
All right, here's the word. Acts. A-C-T-S. Can you remember this word? This is the outline of how to pray when we get into prayer. Let's go through it here really quickly. A, adoration. All prayer starts with adoration. We want to adore God and thank him for all that he's done. Uh, Daniel Henderson, he's a, he does some teaching on prayer. He simplified prayer. He goes, there are two concepts to prayer that every person must understand. One is that God is worthy. And two is that we are needy right? And so it's getting into that place of adoration. God, you are worthy. You are worthy of everything. God, you are good. You're faithful. Confession. This is a multifaceted idea. Confession. I confess with humility that I don't know everything. That's hard for me to do. But I confess that God's plan is better. I confess that I have sinned against God. I confess when I've sinned against others. God, I confess this before you. Please forgive me for the places in which I've been wrong. Third is thanksgiving. Or if you grew up in western Pennsylvania, it could be thanksgiving. I've heard it both ways. This is not just a meal that we do in November. All right? And in fact, if, if there was one thing that I would tell you that could totally reframe your view on life, it would be to become more thankful for what you have. You know, things that we absolutely take for granted. Now, you woke up this morning. You are still alive. That's something to be thankful for. You walked on your own strength. You can see, hear, speak, think. You had food to eat. You had clothes to wear. You had a car to drive. You are unbelievably blessed. But how many of you woke up first thing this morning and went, a new day! Yes! Anybody? Your spouse would like throw things. I know mine would. Wow. I'll try it tomorrow. I'll let you know. I get up at 5.30, so it's going to be great. <laughs> no, we didn't get up. You didn't go out to your car and say, whoa, it's still here. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't get dressed or eat your breakfast. And, oh, wow, God, you're so good. You've blessed me so much. No, we just get really into the place of losing appreciation for how grateful we need to be for what God has done for us because we're so fixed on, well... That's a good, okay car, God, but it's only got 300 horsepower. That's an okay house, Lord, but it's only got two bathrooms. Lord, these Cheerios, they're kind of stale. Close the box. It's, it's easy. Listen, we need to be a people of thanksgiving. Can I just practically tell you one thing that could radically change your life? Get out a piece of paper and just start to write down the things that you're thankful for. Take it down on the, on the simplest level. Your ability to walk. Your ability to tie your own shoes. I mean, come on. Take it down to any level that you can imagine. Just start to write it out. And it will radically and drastically change the way that you see the world around you and get you focused on how good God has been. Lastly, the last thing, and, and this is unfortunate because a lot of times we've treated it like it's the first thing. The last thing is this word supplication. If you don't know what supplication means, that's okay. It just means asking God for things. In fact, some of the words that we see for prayer in the Bible, the translation is actually begging God for things. But it doesn't come until after we have first shaped our minds, thoughts, and attitudes with adoration, confession, and thanksgiving. And here's why. Because when you start with adoring God, confessing your own frailties and sin, thanking Him for His goodness, it radically changes what you ask for. When you're filled with gratitude first for what you've already got, 
and maybe what you've got that you even see other people don't have, it begins to drastically change what you're asking God for. And, and really, as it even said in James chapter 4, we read a moment ago, that you get off of that idea of asking for what you want, the next pleasure, the next thing, the next object, and get your eyes on God, I want what you want for my life. I want that daily bread that you've got for me. I want to live today with purpose in the way to which you intended for me to live. I don't want to miss a moment or an opportunity. I just want today to be lived for your glory. Church, this changes the way that we pray because too often we're in the place of praying and acting like God is our genie. Okay, God, I really want that new job. Do I get my three wishes today? Because it's a new day. God, I want that new job. God, I want that new car. God, I want that bigger house. God, will you give me? God, will you give me? God, will you give me? And when Jesus frames what prayer really and truly is, such a small portion of it is actually, God, will you give me? In fact, he said right before this, he says, listen, if I'm being honest, you don't even have to ask me for what you need because I already know what you need. Before you even pray, before you speak a single word, I know what you need. You don't have to go on and on with words and beg me and say it the right way and at the right time and with the right scripture references. I know what you need and I care about you and I love you and I'm going to take care of you. All you have to do is learn to lean into my sufficiency. All you have to do is to learn to lean into the things that I'm giving you and accepting them as enough, being filled with gratitude and saying, God, what you're doing in my life, I'm grateful for. Listen, sometimes you've got to say that with your teeth gritting. God, I'm thankful for today. I'm thankful for this moment. But you teach yourself to do it, and it changes your heart. It changes your attitude and allows God to begin to show you incredible things in your life. Church, when you get into prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, this is the way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. So this is how you pray. Adore God, confess before him, thank him, and lastly, asking for the things that you need. But even when you do that, realizing he already knows. There's nothing you're going to bring to his attention that he's like, oh, I didn't realize that. He sees it, and he's moving, and he's working even when we don't see it. We're going to get ready to take communion together in a few moments here. But one of the things that often amazes me in the idea of communion is that we're celebrating what Jesus has done for us. We're celebrating what Jesus did for us. And you guys can get into place, the uh, board members and the worship team, you can get into place. We're celebrating what God did for us through his son Jesus. And one of the things that we might miss out on because, you know, we're, we're big on the cross happened and Jesus died and then Jesus rose from the grave. But there's an event right in the middle of all of that that sometimes escapes us. And if you go back and you read about when Jesus died on the cross, he says, it is finished. And then you read this strange statement. Suddenly, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's like, oh, what, what does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, there was this place that was where the presence of God was. It was called the Holy of Holies. And only one person could go in there, the high priest, and only one time a year. Because we as people didn't have access to God. 
And when Jesus died, his blood and a body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us, he did not just give us this gift of salvation. He gave us the gift of relationship. He tore the veil in two so that we can go into the throne of grace any time, day or night, and fall on our knees and just cry out to God and say, God, thank you. You're so good. I love you. Your grace is sufficient. Your mercies are good. Your provision is good enough. I accept your goodness in my life. We have relationship because of what Jesus did. And that's what we're going to celebrate this morning. We didn't just get salvation. That's a gift worth jumping up and down about. But can we be honest with ourselves? Sometimes we look at it and we're like, salvation. Oh, that's good. That's, oh, thanks, God. That, that is great. This is, I'm going to put this someplace special. This, this is going, you know, on the fridge. Where it will, we're patronizing. Instead of being in that place of absolute reality, God, you saved me from death. You saved me from the punishment that I deserve because of my own sin. You saved me. You redeemed me. Listen, that's something that every day we should open up and say, God, thank you. You saved me. You saved me, God. Thank you. And church, I just want to encourage you as we're going to take communion together this morning. Maybe you've been in a place where some of the things going on in your life, it feels a little bit more like, oh, thanks, God. That's exactly where I wanted to be right now. That's exactly what I wanted to be going through right now. This is exactly where I wanted to be working or living or doing what, yeah, this, okay, thanks. Thank you. That's great. But instead reframing to say, God, I love you and I thank you and I know that whatever you're doing in my life is good. I trust your will, your plan, your purpose It's accomplishing something great, even though I don't see it. God, I want to be truly grateful today. So I want to ask you to begin to come down the aisles here. You can come down these two aisles in front of the doors, and after you've been served, you can go back up the middle or the outside, and we'll wait until everyone has been served to take communion together. But let's keep that attitude of gratitude as we come and worship this morning. It has 
laid inside my tomb of sin. You were buried for three days, but then you walked right out again. And now death has no sting, and life has no end. For I have been transformed by the blood of the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood of life. God, in this moment, we just choose to humble our hearts before you, full of adoration for who you are, confessing our frailties. Lord, we're nothing without you. And Father, as we take this moment to remember the death and resurrection of your son Jesus, celebrating his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed, may we be truly filled with gratitude, God full of thanksgiving, God, for the great things that you have done in our lives. Lord, we desire your will. We desire you to direct our steps, to forgive us and to fill us with the hope of forgiving others. We ask for your grace, Lord, in everything that we do. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 says, For I pass unto you what I receive from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. 
Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus allowed his body to be broken so that you could have relationship with God, so that you could call on him, so that you could speak to him, so that you could hear from him. It's a gift that is unlike any other. God, we thank you for this gift that you've given to us. There may be days of our lives when it's not exactly what we wanted, but Lord, it was everything that we needed. And Lord, we fix our eyes on your sufficiency, thanking you for being so good to us, so faithful, and giving us what we needed, oftentimes more than what we wanted. We remember your sacrifice in the way in which your body was bruised and beaten, how you were nailed to the cross for our sake. And we glorify you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. God, we thank you for the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for us. In truth, there's no gift that has ever been given by anyone, anywhere, that compares to this gift that you've given us. Lord, I pray that we would receive it with gratitude, but also be drawn into deeper relationship with you. A relationship that goes beyond the ideas of religion, but in which we speak to you and hear you and sense your presence call out to you God and rest in your sufficiency with peace and gratitude we thank you Lord for the blood of Jesus let's take the bread of the cup together Father remind us that there's nothing else that we will ever truly need that goes beyond our need for mercy and salvation And that when we say thank you, Jesus, for this blood which was applied to our lives, we truly show gratitude for the greatest gift that's ever been given. We thank you for it, Lord. We give you glory in Jesus' name. I wonder if you'd stand with me if we could sing this verse one more time. But just from our own words to say, God, thank you for the blood. Thank you for what you've done for me because it changed my life.
sons and daughters We are ransomed by our Father through God, we thank you for the gift of salvation in which you robbed darkness and the grave and Satan and redeemed us out of anything and everything. God, you redeemed us to yourself, paid the ransom for our sins so that we can have relationship with you. God, I pray that you will teach us to be a people of prayer who do not give in to the simple statement of I don't know how or I don't know what to say, but a people who are drawn, God, to just adore you to rely on you, to rest in your sufficiency, and to realize that you know our need even before we speak it, God. Lord, we love you. We love you. And we thank you for the gift of your salvation. We honor you. And pray that as we go today, you will fill us with incredible gratitude for your mercies. I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you. That the Lord himself will lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Lord bless you. Our prayer team will be up here at the front. We'd love to pray with you if you need prayer this morning. If you're visiting, I'd love to meet you outside by our welcome banner. Have a wonderful day and be a people.